Good morning. Welcome to this episode of the Chapless Chair, a thought-provoking podcast about religion, faith, family, and yes, I'll even sprinkle some politics in from time to time. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Anchor FM. You can visit our website, The Chaplain's Chair, and follow the podcast there if you'd like. We're also on Facebook. You know, this podcast is going to be a topical podcast. And the difference between a topical podcast and, say, an expository one is that uh, topical subjects have to do with a set of principles for which the Bible lends support. And I'm going to outline that in a minute. It's not necessarily taking a portion of Scripture and going through it verse by verse and unpacking it and expounding it and finding out what it meant to the original audience and how it applies for you today, etc. This has to do with the keeping up and understanding the rapid changes in society and finding a firm foundation to stand on, principles I believe the Bible does teach, and I'm going to go over as we get into this. Now, the things that have changed in our world, and I'm 55 years old, and for those of you that are older than me, you can probably add a whole bunch of things to this list, but the things that we've changed in no particular order, we've changed the definition of life, the definition of sex, the definition of what a family is, the definition of what freedom is, the definition of a parent, the definition of a child. A grown-up can identify as a child, crazy things going on, the definition of education, And I could go on and on and on, and you could probably add a few things to that list. And if I was going to do that, I could probably take up all the time in this podcast outlining it. You know, in matters of faith, we've changed things. We've changed the definition of sin. We've changed the definition of judgment. We've changed the definition of hell, salvation. We've changed the definition of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be right with God. We've changed the very definition of who God is. You know, I want to say something very emphatically. Uh, God, God of the Bible, the Father of Jesus Christ, is not subject to our whims and our attempts to change who he is or to change who Jesus Christ is or to change what the Bible says about anything. You know, this has infected our, our churches and preachers too, and there's a growing trend in many churches, and it's been going on for a long time. It's a trend that I've seen and preached on since my Bible college years, almost 30 years ago. This idea that they need to repurpose themselves and their message to be shaped to the trends of popular culture. You know, the argument has been that the world system needs to be embraced. That's what do I mean by world system? I mean, I mean the preeminent scientists, the preeminent politicians, the preeminent, uh, you know, fill in the blank of, of credible people. That's what I mean when I talk about world system. So the argument's been that this world system needs to be embraced, that the world system needs to be respected and accepted if churches and the gospel of Jesus Christ are to be found credible, that somehow we need to repackage the delivery of the message of Jesus Christ to sound like the thinking of the world system, to change the terminology to be more agreeable, to soften some of the sharper points of Christian theology that might not be so popular. You know, Sunday sermons are are full of pop psychology and mentions and shout outs to the figures of popular culture. And you hear their names more than you hear the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. You know, it's discouraging to me. And I don't care who you turn on on a Sunday morning, whether it's on TV or whether it's on the radio. You will find some good TV and radio preachers. But by and large, you are going to find those that want to uh, integrate with the world system, that they want to be respected, that they want to be on the talk shows, on, on the news stations, that they want to be spoken of nicely by major media outlets. You know, I want to 
express to you, explain to you, this goes against the teachings of the Bible. And I want to give you just a couple of verses to reference as kind of a foundation to my thinking here. Colossians 2 verse 8, it says, the Apostle Paul writing, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. This is going to be a podcast all by itself someday. I want to express the teachings of Christ and the teaching of the world are opposed to each other. There's no cooperation between them. There's no getting them to agree with each other. They do not go together. You have worldly thinking. You have divine Christian thinking. Well, why don't they agree? Well, Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 7, a little bit earlier than the epistle I just read, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The mind that does not know God is the enemy of God. And until that mind is converted, it's never going to be an ally of God. We have to start there. When we evaluate what the world wants us to think, understand, believe, etc., we have to see where they're coming from. Are they coming from a, a position that accepts the divine lordship of the supreme king of the universe, God Almighty. You know, we've ignored this for too long, and we're foolish to think our society hasn't paid a price for it. We've tried to make this compromise. We've tried to say, hey, this is agreeable, and it just really isn't. Now, Charles Finney, who was an evangelist in the 1800s during the Second Great Awakening, he said this in 1873. Now, brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If morality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. He's talking to preachers and pulpits. He says, if there's a decay in conscience, the pulpit's responsible. If the public press, there's a good word, the public press lacks moral discrimination, and I would say it probably does, Finney says the pulpit's responsible for that. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, and he does, the pulpit's responsible for that. And if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, and they are, the pulpit is responsible for that. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, Finney goes on to say, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility and respect to the morals of this nation. Yep, Finney sounds like a prophet here. Our society has changed. But in all of that, this podcast serves to remind you that there's three things that God hasn't changed. And that's the topic, i.e. topical study. And I want to look at a couple of verses first. I want to look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, in the first half of the verse, where God says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. And then I want you to go and look into Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So in considering those verses, the way to hold fast in our faith, to go into the world preaching it, to impact our world with it, is to preach it the old-fashioned way and trust God for the outcome. So the first thing the Bible says God will not change, as I expound on this topical study, is His Word. If you look in Psalm 119, and that's a psalm that's almost entirely on the words of God, verse 89 says this. It says, Forever, though, uh, forever O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You know how Webster defines settled? He defines it as to put in order, to establish residence in. The Word of God resides in heaven. It's beyond the reach. It's beyond the corruption. It's beyond the reinterpretation 
or rejection of the world system. But I want to go even further than that. First Peter 1.25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Now it says it's an eternal word. And not only is it firmly established in heaven, it's firmly established in time. Now that's reinforced in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, when Jesus spoke of the word this way. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. You know, the importance of the word, I, I want to open up a, three verses here. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, John's writing his gospel about the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he goes on in that same chapter in verse 14, and he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle John writes in his gospel that the Word of God was epitomized in Jesus Christ when He became man. You cannot separate the Word of God from the person of Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. If we go into Revelation 19, in verse 11 through 13, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called, now listen to this, the Word of God. Now, we have two comings in these three verses. We have one in humility, where Jesus came to earth as a man and lived among men and died for sinners. And then we have the second coming in glory, the second advent. Both of these comings say Jesus Christ is synonymous with the Word of God. The unchangeableness of it, the characteristics of it, the truth of it, it rests in the person of Jesus Christ. If you are going to reject the Word of God, you are rejecting Christ. I don't think there's any other way to go around that. So if you're going to convince me that the Word of God needs to change, or it needs to go, or needs to be reinterpreted, you better have more credibility than the Son of God, slain for sinners, resurrected from the dead, and appointed judge of the world. And I don't think any such individual has ever lived. So you'll excuse me if I uh, rest my confidence on the person of Jesus Christ and his testimony concerning the Bible and what it says. So we want to move on to something else. We want to move on to the second thing that doesn't change, and that's the message. The message of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the th third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve, that's the other apostles. So let's see that that's the message that Paul preached. We, gotta, we can't leave that seen part out. He was seen alive among witnesses. Now Paul says the message is, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and then he rose again the third day and seen among witnesses. In Luke 24, 46 and 47, Jesus makes an a post-resurrection appearance, and it says here, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
That's the message. Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His story, his redemptive death, his glorious resurrection, his intercession of the right hand of God for those he died for. Now I'm going to say something that might not be too popular, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think God is remotely interested at this point in world history with restoring anything. I do, however, think God is intensely interested in the harvest of lost souls. Those lost souls that navigate this world without Christ more so than he is in world peace. Why do I say that? Because God's definition of peace and the world's definition of peace are not in agreement. The definition of the world's peace rejects Jesus Christ. You go anywhere to their publications to find that. They do not believe in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. They believe that Jesus is just one of many religious sages which you can put your faith and trust in and get to the same destination, uh, utopia, nirvana, heaven, whatever definition they want to give it, whatever label they want to give it. But their concept of peace rejects Jesus Christ. It does not include Jesus Christ. It includes man's efforts to bring about the peace that he defines for himself. God's definition of peace, Christ is preeminent. He is central. There is no world peace without Jesus Christ in God's definition. God's judgment is coming, the Bible says. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Jesus said this. Now, these laborers, as Jesus identifies them, they carry the third thing God will not change. His method. The method isn't going to change. 2 Timothy 4.2, which I think I referenced in my very, very first podcast. It says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You ever look at the definition of those words, reprove and rebuke? You should, because reproving and rebuking don't make people feel good. It's tough love, and it's meant to provoke a change in thought, a change in direction, a change in attitude, a change in mind. But it's by an exhorting, and that's the word which comes next, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And that's a positive word. It's an encouraging word. It's meant to lead you to the Word of God. And that's what preaching is meant to do. If it doesn't, it isn't preaching. You know, Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, says here, He says unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now there's that word again, preach. The gospel is a pretty simple message. You know, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, Paul knew it. Paul did it. Paul was impressed upon the importance of it. You know, there isn't any appeal to cultural relevance here. There's no appeal to political correctness or progressive thinking. Well, why is that? Because we hear that all the time. We turn on the TV, we read the newspapers, and that is what we see. We see all of these various definitions, various explanations from uh, people society considers great about exactly how we should feel about our world and how we should think about God and how we should feel about the state of man and all of those things. The obstacle to man's conversion It's a theological problem. It's not a cultural one. It's not even a political one. 
In fact, if we made all of the cultural adjustments in the world that we find recommended to us from whatever field of influence, any progressive thinking, any political correctness, it wouldn't change where we stand with God. In fact, I think all of those, all of those things I just outlined, cultural adjustments, progressive thinking, political correctness, whatever, they're in opposition to the message of God. And they're man's attempts, I'll emphasize that again, man's attempts to erase his responsibility and accountability to God. Somehow the thinking comes down is like, well, if we can redefine it, if we can set up a, a contrary line of thinking, a contrary philosophy that is, is well, you know, it's nice. It's parallel to the Christian gospel, uh, but it's every bit as credible in our mind. And, you know, this, this will work. You know, those things aren't, aren't, aren't going to work. It's not going to reconcile you to God. It's opposed to the way God thinks. You know, only a mighty working of God's spirit in the human heart, according to the Bible, through the preaching of the word of God, will accomplish a change. And I think it's good practice and good theology to say, hey, let's stick with that and trust God for the outcome. Indeed, it says in Isaiah 55, verse 11, God says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of thy mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper the thing whereto I sent it. You know, and we see here and throughout the scriptures that the Bible was not written to be shaped to the ever-changing whims of the world. It was written to show man that he was estranged from God and need of the Savior. All men, all of us, me, you, anybody listening, anybody anywhere, we all start in the same place. It says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not a single person on this earth has righteousness worthy of God's approval. Only Christ accomplished that, and only who Christ imparts that righteousness to is considered righteous before God. Now, I know society doesn't want to hear that, especially if it rejects Christianity. I'm sorry about that. It might not be politically or socially correct, but it makes really good Bible. You know, our present society bears witness to the truth of its fallen condition, its depraved condition. And it's always changing, and it's always seeking to establish a world order without God, and it's only gotten worse. But my exhortation to you is, build your foundation on the foundation of the Word of God, on the testimony of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ, and the preaching of the good news. And when all is swirling around you, that's never going to change. Never going to change. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. I want to thank you for listening. See you next week from the chaplain's chair. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great day.